This is Guns and Butter. So all of this, all of these pieces, I think, are meshing and coming together. They're interleaving in order to create a kind of controlled surveillance state with incomes that are being reduced, with mobility being reduced, consumption being reduced, and surveillance being enhanced. All of these elements come together to create this kind of great reset situation. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. Today's show, Corporate Socialism, The Great Reset. Michael Rechtenwald is an author and professor. He was professor of liberal studies and global liberal studies at New York University from 2008 to 2019. He has also taught at Duke University, North Carolina Central University, Carnegie Mellon University, and Case Western Reserve University. He is the author of 11 books, including Thought Criminal, Beyond Woke, Google Archipelago, The Digital Gulag, and The Simulation of Freedom, and Springtime for Snowflakes, Social Justice and Its Postmodern Parentage, an academic's memoir, among many others. He is the founder of the online news service CLG News. Michael Rechtenwald, welcome. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Great to be here. I've enjoyed reading your five-part series on The Great Reset. You write that, quote, in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, World Economic Forum founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab writes that the COVID-19 crisis should be regarded as a, quote, opportunity. An opportunity for what? An opportunity to initiate the Great Reset, in effect, to begin the kinds of processes that they have in mind at the WEF and the United Nations to reset the economy to what they're looking to uh, accomplish, and that is a kind of uh, a two-tiered system of, uh, of production such that you have only uh, so-called sanctioned producers, basically, that will be allowed to produce and everyone else will be shut down. That's the long-term goal. In part one of your series, What is the Great Reset? Reduced Expectations and Biotechno-Feudalism, you point out that Schwab has been promoting the Great Reset for years. Do you know whether or not Klaus Schwab's earlier book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, mentioned the term the Great Reset? The Fourth Industrial Revolution uh, is definitely part and parcel of the Great Reset. This is a, uh, a the technological component of the Great Reset. In this, in this book, he does mention the Great Reset. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution, he suggests, makes the Great Reset effectively inevitable uh, because of the technologies they're going to be bringing on board that are already coming into play, that there will be a need for a Great Reset because the technologies will outmode Many forms of production and many, many jobs will become redundant. And likewise, you'll have to have a whole new economy in order to accommodate the population. So in the, in the fourth industrial revolution, he's, he's effectively outlining the technological changes that are going to bring about this great reset 
which make it inevitable and which make resetting the economy absolutely necessary. You write that the Great Reset that Klaus Schwab is advocating would produce a, quote, a new normal. What would this new normal entail? Well, as I said in that first piece, it's a kind of neo-feudalism, in effect. What we're talking about here is um, a kind of system in which, basically, there will be a, a group of corporate socialists, as I call them, a corporate body of producers who are effectively monopolizing the economy. And everybody else will effectively be on either universal basic income or some other form of uh, state-sponsored income-based living. And what, what they're talking about is basically a propertyless future for most of the, of the planet. Uh, and in effect, everybody living uh, on a state budget, a state-sanctioned budget, and uh, they are basically not producing so much. Maybe some people will be in a vassal class, for example, in which they'll have some technical role here. But for the most part, we're looking at a vast swath of the population that will, in effect, be living uh, sort of at the, at the behest of these corporate monopolists who will be doing all the production and, in effect, will control the entire economy. And we see this coming about already with uh, the COVID response that's taken place uh, that has left many, many businesses, millions of businesses out of business, being shut down, being shuttered, and their properties being leased uh, or up for lease. And then we're going to see a lot of these corporate players buying up these properties and, and putting in their place different projects that they have in mind in place of these local businesses. So you can look at small business as, as an impediment to this great reset because they want to have a certain set of approved producers and distributors uh, through whom the whole economy will run. If you want to look at it in terms of uh, feudalism, it's a very static model. That is, there's no upward mobility and you have a set of very reduced expectations for the vast swath of the population. That is, you're not going to you're not going to be looking forward to some sort of progress narrative economically. You're you're effectively in the first world, as it were. You're you're going to have your standard of living vastly reduced, and in effect, also under control of a surveillance technology, which will be which is being rolled out already. It's already active in China under the smart city uh, model. That smart city model will be imported into almost all of the first world, and they're going to drive people from the suburbs and the rural areas into the cities where they can be uh, monitored, tracked, traced, et cetera, every move basically known. And only approved Vendors will be allowed to sell anything because this will eventually end up in a digital currency such that if you're not an approved vendor or seller of goods, you won't be able to receive this digital currency. And that's being driven through the World Economic Forum and through major asset uh, managers as well. You write that, quote, the Great Reset means reduced incomes and carbon use. So our standard of living in terms of financial resources and energy use is to be diminished. Is that right? Dramatically. Um, this is exactly right. We're, we're going to look at overall reduced mobility, reduced income, to kind of 
low low grade survivability in effect a new level of global poverty in the sense that you won't have any access to any means or way out of it because it's going to be static it's going to be uh, driven through the major corporations that will be running everything. I call it corporate socialism because what it effectively amounts to is a group of corporate monopolists who are on top and then what I call actually existing socialism on the bottom. And that is, and I should put socialism in quotes here because this is not the, the ideal of socialists of your. This is a kind of socialism only for the vast majority who are going to be quote-unquote equal, uh, who are going to be receiving the same kinds of wages or non-waged income. So it's a kind of corporate socialist feudalism, if you will. You point to a vast transformation of economic, monetary, technological, medical, genomic, environmental, military, and governance systems, essentially all elements of life. Uh, let's talk about these and go through them one by one. What about the monetary system? What would we be looking at there? Well, there are plans underway to basically institute a global digital currency. And this would be utterly centralized so that all spending and all selling will be known by the centralized authorities. And basically, all transaction will be recorded. Therefore, everything you do economically will be known. And it could entail, as well, negative interest rates for most people. That is to say, your money is actually being taxed, as it were, for sitting there. And so this will basically encourage a kind of spending uh, at the pace that's desired, so that you're, you're in effect living on a universal basic income, and your spending is controlled by this, you know, by the inputs that come. And if you don't spend at the right pace, effectively you, you'll get negative interest rates. And uh, this means also, as I said, all these approved producers and distributors, only these will be allowed, others will be proscribed. And in effect, you're going to see this great diminishment of, of uh, you know, middle class production, if you will, middle class business. The middle class is the target here, the middle class in the first world, the United States and Western Europe in particular. This is being targeted to be eradicated because, as the language puts it, it's not sustainable, supposedly, for environmental reasons and governance reasons. Uh, they don't think it's a sustainable world model. And, you know, there's the possibility that there's some population reduction involved here. And I, I won't go too far into that because I'm not sure about it, but that's possibly uh, on the table as well. Now, Michael, when you uh, mention negative interest rates, are you referring to uh, somebody having to pay to have their money in the bank? Exactly. Having to pay to have your money in the bank, you'll have interest deducted from your account rather than accruing in your favor. This will effectively be lowering your bank account balance uh, if you don't spend at the right pace. Now, under this new monetary system that would be centralized and digital, would there be 
any possibility to have a black market or not? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is this is one of the things that is uh, is an impediment at this point. England, the the head of the uh, Bank of London, has recently announced that he believes Bitcoin is going to crash in the near future, and so this would be the obliteration of alternative cryptocurrencies. And instead, he suggests that a centralized digital cryptocurrency will be instituted in its place. So they're already targeting these uh, alternative cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin and Bitcoin, etc. cetera. Uh, this serves as an impediment, as I said, to the centralized cryptocurrency that uh, they have in mind. But I mean, when they put in, if they put in this global digital currency, will then that... Um make it impossible to have a black market in any other way? It makes it very difficult, especially if other cryptocurrencies are destroyed, other other independent cryptocurrencies. And cash could be completely eliminated. Uh, a cash currency could be completely eliminated. So this would leave barter of some sort. This, this would leave barter. It would leave other kinds of transactions that, you know, I can't really name, but different ways of exchange but it will definitely make it much more difficult to sustain any kind of uh, thriving, robust black market. I'm speaking with author and professor Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. Today's show, Corporate Socialism, The Great Reset. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What about a transformation in technology? You mentioned, quote, 5G-enabled smart city surveillance, the equivalent of social credit scores, medical passports, political imprisonment, and other means of social and political repression and control. This has already started somewhat, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And uh, we see this coming into play. I think the social credit scoring system that you have in China which of course is connected to the smart cities, and I could explain how. Uh, this is beginning to be input here and elsewhere across the globe in uh, Israel and uh, Great Britain, a vaccine passport, which is the, the inroad for establishing a kind of social credit scoring system uh, that they have in China, which then reduces your ability to undertake certain activities. You can't travel. Uh, you can't move beyond certain perimeters. This is in China. In the United States, it could be that you won't be able to even enter a grocery store without this vaccine passport, which then could, could have addendums to it that, that you have to have the right uh, political outlook. Uh, you can't be some sort of a resistor or dissident. All these things are very much on the table. And we see, I think, China is the model for all this. The Chinese social credit scoring system, and China's offered their uh, version of a vaccine passport for the rest of the world. Uh, they've already offered that. Xiaoping uh, has already asked to have it instituted worldwide, what they're doing in China with the vaccine passports. So the vaccine passport is, in effect, the beginning of the social credit scoring system. Well, I remember reading in the newspaper that uh, China was offering the WHO or the WEF or something to 
come up with this vaccine passport if the world or something was going to go to it globally. But are you saying that China already has a vaccine passport internally? Yes, they have a vaccine passport in China already. So the uh, the proposal was to, in effect, roll it out globally uh, from China, in effect, using their technology because they've already got it operative there. So, yes, that's that's the case. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. Oh. Now, what about the medical field? What's going on there with regard to the Great Reset? Well, there's a huge explosion in uh, genomics and other areas and genetic uh, engineering. Uh, of course, all these things can be very positive, but when it comes to the kind of possibilities for control, we're talking about having uh, medical passports, perhaps, that include your genomic makeup and that uh, basically gives access to uh, whoever uh, your genetic composition. And that's a very frightening prospect. Uh, the idea that your genetic material will be known, that your genetic code will be actually accessible through technology uh, to uh, whatever purveyors or authorities that are deemed privy to it. That's quite a, a threatening prospect, but it is actually technologically possible, and it is something that Schwab has made clear that is probably a good idea, in his opinion, to make possible and to make universal. You know, I'm already noticing when I go to a doctor's office that they're all carrying a computer and they don't use physical records anymore. It's all digitized. Right. Right. It's in this database and it could be accessible directly from your body. Uh, if, if what Schwab is saying is possible, and I think looking at the developments that are underway, it's possible that, you know, some sort of nanorobots could be uh, incorporated into the body such that it could be reading your genetic code directly and transcribing that for others to see. So we're not talking about external records now. We're talking about records that are effectively uh, gleaned from your body state. Uh, and your disease, your disease status could also be uh, gleaned as such and could be effectively made accessible uh, to authorities without any kind of examination whatsoever. Now, with regard to genomics, you write that this transformation, quote, according to Schwab, will not only alter our world, but also lead us to, quote, question what it means to be human. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fusion of uh, transhumanist technology into the body, the kind of fusion of uh, GNR, uh, genetics or genomics, nanotechnology and robotics, and their fusion with biological, uh, with the biological, such that you're going to, you know, the promise is that you're going to be enhanced by this. You're going to have these enhancements that you might be, for example, directly connected to the Internet or what will be the internet or the cloud, and that, in effect, you'll have this great access to knowledge, you know, without even opening a computer or a phone, et cetera, et cetera, so that you'll already be on the web, in effect, uh, and that also you'll have, you know, enhanced memory and enhanced uh, access to data without doing anything. In effect, it'll all be right there, but 
this leaves open the question to to the extent to which one's own processes, mental processes, cognitive processes are actually accessible to someone else. And there are people working in this area of transcribing uh, neuro uh, cognitive processes into code such that these become accessible. So we're talking about the possibility of fusing the biological with the robotic and the nanotechnological. Uh, that's really what this is about. They, he talks about how it might become necessary, for example, to run brain scans on people before they travel so that you know what they're thinking in effect or what their emotional state is whether this triggers some sort of a warning that they may be a terrorist or something like that. So we're going to see a lot of kind of talk about the possibilities of detection of kind of uh, a preempting of behaviors, a kind of precognition of behaviors. You know, predictive algorithms are very much in play here too, where based on past activities, these predictive algorithms will be able to tell what you're going to do next and then the authorities could be alerted as to whether you, you should be precluded from acting in effect. All these things are blatantly stated by Schwab in uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, this is not conspiracy theory. If it's a conspiracy, it, there are known conspirators here and uh, there are plans in place as well. Now, this book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, that Klaus Schwab wrote about transhumanism, uh, for one thing, this book is several years old. This mm -hmm. book preceded his uh, latest book on COVID-19, The Great Reset, didn't it? Yes, it did. It's, it's a few years earlier. I read them in the reverse order because I was, when the coronavirus crisis uh, hit, Last year, it became apparent that something was afoot in terms of the response to it. And then I read that book and then, of course, traveled back to, recurred back to the uh, Fourth Industrial Revolution. And yeah, that book was already uh, out. So yes, as, as you said, the Great Reset has been a plan from, from the WEF for some years. And the COVID crisis has been a pretext for enacting it. Uh, similarly, climate change has been the major overarching pretext for en enacting it. So this is kind of a harvesting of the environmental movement into a corporate oligarchical control system, if you will. That's, that's effectively what's going on. And they're using a kind of language that is quite, in a way, it's quite confusing and it could be misleading to people who have been environmentally concerned They'll think that these concerns are being addressed on a world level. The only thing is they're being addressed by these certain corporate um, monoliths, uh, oligarchs, who are then determining what kind of behavior you're allowed to undertake, including driving, including traveling, including consuming, how much consumption is allowed, whether you can eat actual meat or whether it will be produced in some artificial form. All these kind of things are afoot. So yeah, that book came in advance of the COVID-19, the Great Reset book, and it's sort of as a prelude to what was uh, being considered here. And the World Economic Forum has been promoting the Great Reset for quite a while, and now they have major corporate partners on board. Now, 
What would a military transformation entail with regard to the Great Reset? Well, you have, for example, cyber warfare, which was already something that's in action at this point. You're going to have a lot more uh, warfare conducted by robots, and this makes it bloodless for the aggressors. Uh, but it could make it, you know, even more uh, devastating for the victims. Uh, you're talking about the possibility of the of the brain, as the mind, as Schwab put it, as a battlescape, as a sphere of battle, uh, so that they they may be undertaking a kind of uh, psychological warfare that is considered part of military warfare. Um, this is a very frightening prospect, and the idea that there's already, well, we already know, for example, that there is psyops going on, and that it's being done through the internet, through through social media and other platforms, and this could become even more intensified with uh, these kind of algorithmic uh, possibilities that I mentioned before, so that the mind itself becomes a battlescape. According to Schwab, that's that's not something that I invented. This was something that he's written and that he says he has the technological experts verifying as possible. So uh, whether this means some sort of massive psyops campaigns to uh, affect certain ends that are underway, like to defeat particular political contingents or uh, different international actors to keep them from uh, engaging in certain ways or from uh, pursuing particular agendas. I, I can only guess, but that's what it seems to be suggesting, that instead of bombing people, you'll just control what they're thinking through algorithmic uh, means, perhaps invasive technologies that are interrupting their thought processes. This is all possible with nanobots. Now, with regard to this military transformation, you mentioned cyber warfare. It was just last night I saw a new article in the news that there's been a cyber attack on some gas line somewhere in the Midwest going east, and this new, I believe she was the Secretary of Commerce, was saying, well, this is what's happening now. You're just going to have to accept this because these cyber attacks are now going to be occurring. And the article, of course, was about the uh, expected rise in gas prices mm -hmm. because this gas line has come under cyber attack and they're not going to have it fixed right away. Yeah, that's not surprising. Uh, that didn't surprise me at all. And it's interesting how this aligns with these prospects and with these plans. I'm not saying that this was done intentionally, but if there are these kinds of vulnerabilities, it just so happens that they uh, make it possible to restrict fossil fuel usage and by virtue of driving prices up, making it almost impossible for some people to travel. Uh, to use fossil fuels to drive cars. So yeah, this is not surprising. And these vulnerabilities that they exist is, is a certain cause for concern. And the question becomes whether these become staged. I, I'm not saying this one is by any stretch, but it's very possible that they could be. 
I'm speaking with author and professor Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. Today's show, Corporate Socialism, The Great Reset. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And lastly, how about governance? How will governance generally be affected by the Great Reset? Well, what you have going on is a kind of convergence of corporate and state actors. We're seeing a consolidation of corporate and state actors such that there is a new buy-in by corporations to effectively become part and parcel of, of the state. Um, you see this with the corporate partners that are involved with the Great Reset. There is a new uh, index on the stock market called the ESG index, and that's the Environmental, Social, and Governance Index. This is a way of controlling corporate behavior that only these kind of players that score high on this ESG index are going to be able to receive investments, which is a way of uh, determining to what extent a corporation is in compliance with effectively these Great Reset agenda items like environmental behavior, their social index score, that is whether they're social justice-wise, whether they're according to uh, the Great Reset precepts and governance. So what what's happening is this fusion of the state and corporate power so that corporations are, are being driven into roles and they're probably taking them up quite avidly of affecting governance and becoming state apparatuses. You can see this happening with the COVID uh, response, how corporations are being enlisted by the state to enforce governmental regulations and so forth with travel, uh, with uh, attendance at events. All the state mandates are being in effect uh, undertaken by and, and executed by these corporations who are saying, you can't fly, you can't attend this event, you can't do this or that. You can't go to university if you haven't had the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. So corporations are part of the governance system. And then with the ESG scores, it is a way of driving all investments to these approved corporate players. Now, this sounds good in a sense because, well, they're they're forcing corporations to be socially and economically and uh, environmentally responsible. But what it's doing is it's consolidating corporate power in the hands of a few. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock Inc., which is the largest asset manager in the world, wrote a letter to CEOs, and this wasn't just American CEOs, this was globally, suggesting that without their, uh, without their attendance to their ESG scores, they won't be seeing investments in the future, that all these investments are being driven to the proper approved corporate players. That what this does is consolidates corporate power and consolidates the grip that they have on the economy. And, and then they are then also enlisted as, as corporate apparatuses or state apparatuses, extensions of the state, who in effect are also demanding certain things of customers or employees. All these things are underway. Uh, so it's a fusion of corporate state power. It's a driving of production to particular corporate players. And it's, in effect, this consolidation of power in particular corporate hands. 
Now, when you mentioned the ESG score? Yes, ESG, E-S-G as in governance. Yes, environmental, social, and governance score. Uh, so the corporations who have adequate environmental, social, and governance scores will be those to which investments are driven. And as I said, that almost sounds like a good thing, except when you consider what this effect will be is the consolidation of, of investments in the kinds of corporations that are acceptable. So it is a veritable monopolization of different uh, sectors of, of the economy and the elimination of particular sectors as well. Yes, and BlackRock... Uh which Larry Fink is the head of, has been put in charge by the Federal Reserve to disperse the, the funds, the CARE Act funds, right? Right, exactly. And there you have a corporate entity undertaking state functions. And, of course, this could leave open the possibility of the corporation discriminating against people based on various factors, uh, whether they're compliant Similarly to the ESG score, there could be the equivalent of an ESG score for individuals, such that those who do not have the right uh, profile are similarly discriminated against where funds distribution is concerned. So it's a, it's a very troubling situation, and it's, it's akin to what the Biden administration is proposing, and that is to use contractors to surveil upon individuals on the Internet. Uh, so all of this, you know, all of these pieces, I think, are meshing and coming together. They're interleaving in order to create a kind of controlled surveillance state with incomes that are being reduced, with mobility being reduced, consumption being reduced, and surveillance being enhanced. All of these elements come together to create this kind of great reset situation. And, of course, when you talk about uh, corporations themselves instituting these controls, then that lets the federal government off the hook. Like they've already stated uh, in the federal government, oh, well, we're not going to institute vaccine passports. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to have vaccine passports. Exactly. Yeah, this is happening at the local and state level, but more specifically at the corporate level, right? Right. It gives it gives the federal government an alibi. We're not we're not instituting vaccine passports. We're not infringing upon your First Amendment rights. We're not surveilling upon you. We're not censoring you. These corporations are doing it. They've been deputized to do this on behalf of the state. And so this is the kind of state corporate conversion that I'm that I'm talking about. Now, also with regard to governance and the uh, corporate sector basically taking over, then the question arises, who or what is in charge? It seems to me that this is already a mystery. We don't know yes. who's running what. It's very hard to pull these things apart. It seems to be almost inextricable. It's, it's very difficult to see what's driving what. You know, uh, clearly there is corporate profit at stake, but there's an agenda that uh, is being driven 
that benefits some corporate players, but not all. And it's hard to tell which is the hand and which is the glove here. Uh, is the state running these corporations? Or are these corporations running the state? Or are they in some sort of a, almost uh, in some sort of a collusion that can't quite be separated? You know, uh, so yeah, that's a question that continually plagues me uh, that I've continually tried to probe. But I can't claim to have a complete answer on that. It's almost impossible to tell. Right. So who would you hold accountable? It's impossible to say. It's impossible to say whether you hold these corporations responsible or whether you hold uh, the state accountable, whether you hold the federal government accountable, local government, uh, state government. It's, it's really hard to say. But there is the possibility of, of resisting it through state and local governments and through other activities. I think this is the only possibility is to actually you know, effectively try to decentralize as much as possible because this is a grand centralization scheme. And the only way out of it is through decentralization. And that means establishing, as we can, while we still can, economies that are, are not susceptible to this and local and state resistance that is not fully co-opted into it at this point. And to the extent that they are, it's really hard to tell because there are many indications that local and state governments are actually already co-opted into it. Well, one of the scary things that's happening in California is that they're trying to pass a state law that takes away the ability of local municipalities to either accept or deny the installation of 5G, because right now the municipalities have some control over that. But if they pass these new laws at the state level, then at the local level we no longer have a say in these things. Right. They're trying to pass preemptive laws that make it impossible to resist various elements like 5G, which 5G is just the key cornerstone to all this because it's the basis for you know, the, the total surveillance system uh, with all these digital inputs everywhere, with tracking, tracing, recording all behavior, all this being collated and centralized and sent to particular databases, and then from there uh, routed into the various authorities. Yes, uh, 5G is a, is a major component, and if local governments have no say in whether 5G is implemented, Basically, what's happening then is the smart cities will roll in, and smart cities have already been instituted in some Western places like Darwin, Australia. Of course, 50 cities in China. They tried it in, in Toronto with sidewalk labs. It was uh, prevented there, but I think inevitably uh, this is going to happen. And again, it's going to be sold as a great enhancement, like you'll have incredible internet speed, and you'll have incredible access to data. But so will those who are basically uh, running the system. That's the thing you have to consider. And with regard to the Great Reset, what is meant by, quote, a fairer, greener future? Yeah, that's, that's the kind of language that's really euphemistic and quite misleading. Fairer means there's going to be equality on the ground. Um, that is basically an equalization of incomes on the ground for the vast majority. That is, everyone is going to be equal. This doesn't include, of course, the 
overarching oligarchs that are, you know, running all production. And greener, of course, is referring to environmental concerns with climate change. But once again, this has to do with curtailing consumption. Uh, the idea that you will not be able to use a car in the future or that it'll be made impossible by virtue of uh, not producing them or making gas prices so uh, exorbitant such that you can't afford it. So it is all about control of consumption and control of income so that consumption is reduced. And this is just for, as I said, the majority. This doesn't apply to the oligarchs, the oligopolists who are going to be running the system. I'm speaking with author and professor, Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. Today's show, Corporate Socialism, The Great Reset. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You write that, quote, the Great Reset would require a great abridgment of individual rights, including property rights, free expression, freedom of movement, freedom of association, freedom of religion, and the free enterprise system as we understand it. What are some examples that this abridgment of individual rights that you enumerate is already well underway? Well, I think property rights are at risk here because um, the WEF and uh, others have suggested that property will be obviated. You won't need to own anything because everything will be on a service basis. That is, everything will be shared. You'll have shared cars. If they exist, you'll have shared even clothing, according to the WEF. You won't even own your own clothes. So that is one element. It'll be a shared economy, which will get rid of ownership of actual goods, and they'll be rendered as services provided by corporations. The abridgment of our other rights, of course, are already uh, underway, but they include the rights of free expression. And when all expression is going to be known and is basically known through uh, the internet and through these algorithms and the Uh, 5G, then, of course, you're going to have the curtailment of expression, and certain expression won't be allowed. We already see this happening on the Internet, Uh, as I said, from left and right are being suppressed. So I think we really need to get rid of this binary because this is going to affect everybody. This will be a great abridgment of rights across the board, even as some people buy into it on, on the basis that it seems to be affecting their political enemies mostly they're next. Uh, that's what I want to I get across. And mobility, of course, is already being restricted, and it could be even further restricted. If, you know, the social credit scoring system comes into play, it could, it could act out just as it does in China, where if you don't have a high enough score, you can't go past a certain perimeter without setting off an alarm. This happens in China. Based on your social credit score, and it's the observation of you through inputs using your phone and 5G inputs that are on the street, LED and other inputs, making it impossible for you to do things that aren't approved for you, given your effective score. So a great abridgment of rights, of mobility, association, of course, certain types of association will simply be outlawed. Um, Different kinds of political mobilization could be made impossible. And this, again, will cut across the right and left. 
I want to make that clear. This is not something that is a right-wing conspiracy. This is going to affect everybody, and including any resistance to this project. The resistance could come from anywhere, and hopefully it will come from everywhere. And that could be made very difficult, though, through all of these technologies and this kind of knowledge base and interactive system that's being established. And then how does the World Economic Forum sell its dystopian vision to the world? Yes, they use a lot of euphemisms and they, uh, they co-opt the language of different political movements. Uh, they co-opt the language of the environmental movement. They co-opt the language of socialism. They co-opt the language of all kinds of political movements of the past which we have considered to be liberatory and or for our better welfare, and then they throw it back at us in this package, which just so happens to be packaged with this kind of oligarchical control and them running the show. Uh, so that's how they're selling it. They're using the language of the left largely, I have to say, and they're parading it around as if this is really what's being put on offer when it really it is something quite different. In part two of your uh, five-part series, Global Socialism, you write that, quote, the goal is to limit the possibilities for individual activity, including the activity of consumers, by dint of squeezing out industries and producers within industries from the economy. We're already seeing this. What percentage of small and local businesses have already gone belly up? Well, according to the Foundation for Economic Education, uh, 50% of small businesses have already gone belly up thanks to the COVID response. And this could increase if we have any further kinds of lockdowns, and it really is all dependent on the region, of course, but we're already seeing a great reduction of all kinds of possibilities for what these corporate oligarchs conceive of as competitors. Really, the objective is to drive out competition and to establish veritable monopolies in their place so that every package, every artifact that you get, any kind of commodity is going to come through Amazon or some other distributor, but particularly Amazon. And uh, this is the kind of consolidation that's underway. Yeah, it sounds like they're after total control. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They're after total control of the economy and our behavior as well. In your The Great Reset Part 4, Woke Ideology, the ideological aspect of The Great Reset which is a reset of the mass mind, is discussed. Socialist-communist ideology is not the ideology that best fits the goals of the Great Reset, you write. This is where wokeness comes in. What exactly is wokeness, and what could wokeness have to do with the Great Reset? Great question, and uh, that's the question I pose there. And so wokeness is this idea that basically uh, for the majority you have gained what you have, the rights and the uh, standard of living that you currently or previously held is a privilege. 
it's a privileged position. And what, what is the difference between a privilege and a right? One can be stripped from you without, without any contradiction, while the other is something that supposedly inheres in your person. So by framing things as a privilege, this woke ideology has made it possible and uh, made it you know, even acceptable to have rights and to have your rights, and that is including, uh, you know, the rights we talked about, including property rights, effectively rescinded. Uh, so I think wokeness works as an ideology to to make people accept. This is its intended effect to make people accept uh, the lack of property and the lack of prospects. More importantly. Uh, the prospects that people come to expect for career advancement or just any kinds of uh, hopes for improving their lot, uh, for uh, becoming something else. I think wokeness works this way. I think this is a, a pernicious ideology that is being used uh, to drive home the idea that you are not really worthy of anything. You're not worthy of the property that you have or the rights that you have, and then, therefore, you should accept their being abrogated, that they can be taken away from you, and you will willingly accept this. Uh, this is the way the ideology functions, I believe. Well, that's very illuminating to realize that our rights are now being recast as privileges that we don't deserve. Exactly. That's really where wokeness comes in. It's, it's made to guilt trip you out of the belief in your own worthiness to have anything in terms of rights, including property rights, uh, because everything is ill-gotten. Uh, that's the idea that it's all ill-gotten. You don't deserve it. It's been something that you were privileged to have in the first place, and likewise, they can be uh, taken away, and you might even abdicate them as well. And it also sounds to me like it's being framed as a zero-sum game, mm -hmm. that if you have something, then that means you're depriving somebody else of it. Exactly. This is the zero-sum thinking that underscores this ideology. That is, that you, you're gaining something has come at the expense of somebody else. And that's a very limited pie idea that there's this pie, and if you take a piece, basically you're depriving another person of this piece, whereas wealth production really doesn't work that way. Wealth production actually works by virtue of people producing things and then other people having them and them, them being able to produce things and then other people having in, the, in this increase of wealth all around. Uh, it doesn't work by deprivation. By virtue of having something, it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't have anything because when having something, that makes you able to produce something that somebody else can have, which can allow them to produce something. Uh, so yes, it's a zero-sum game thinking, and it's very deceptive that way. Yeah, it sounds like a whole scarcity model and for years now, I've had people on the show talk about the long-term planning not to bring the third world up to the standards of the first world, but to take the first world uh, standard of living down to the third world. That's what they want. 
Exactly. The, the target here is the first world. The standard of living has got to be reduced for the first world. This is what's afoot. It isn't about improving the lot of the third world. As we see now, the UN just put out a, a statement recently that thanks to the COVID response, there's enormous uh, threats of starvation in the third world. Uh, so this is not bringing the third world up. This is bringing the, the first world down. And it isn't even saving the third world, in effect. This is also hurting the third world. Uh, so, you know, the COVID is just a pretext for bringing this about. Uh, but I think it plays perfectly into the hands of those who wish to reduce the expectations, consumption, and mobility and rights of people in the first world. You were professor of liberal studies and global liberal studies at New York University from 2008 to 2019. Why are you no longer teaching at NYU? Well, things became quite difficult for me there. Uh, I started to criticize developments at NYU and across the country that I thought were quite foreboding. Um, and that included bias reporting hotlines being established at NYU and in 260 other universities across the country, whereby effectively they were setting up a kind of reporting or Stasi state uh, such that students and others could report on each other and their professors when they made a bias infraction, when they committed a bias infraction or some sort of, uh, some sort of infraction that could be reported and then also the no platforming of speakers and and the uh, curtailment of individual rights of the professors, academic freedom to teach what they what they wanted to teach uh, through the use of trigger warnings, and then that the university was turning into a kind of safe space, such that uh, alternative views were being precluded, and only a particular ideology was acceptable. Uh, I said all this, by the way, Bonnie, from the left. I was a left communist when I said all this, and I was still driven out by virtue of that. And yes, you mentioned in one of your television interviews a committee there called Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and they went up against you, didn't they? Yes, they, they said that I was, quote, guilty for the structure of my thinking which to me means that I had the wrong ideological propensities, that I was not thinking the right thoughts uh, because I was thinking different thoughts than I was supposed to have. Uh, they said that I was guilty for that. They said that I was, uh, uh, I was uh, putting people in danger by virtue of these criticisms, which were merely criticisms of institutional mechanisms that were in place and being put in place, uh, things that were not directed at any person's but really directed at the institution and turning the university into kind of a panopticon uh, of surveillance and uh, curtailment of speech, uh, infringement of academic freedom, and so on and so forth. So for those infractions, I, I was uh, blackballed. Uh, they pushed me into the Russian department out of my own office. Uh, I was basically consigned to my own personal gulag, as I put it, because they had no books, they wouldn't move my books. I was completely uh, consigned to this space without any interaction with anyone on campus. I was shunned by 100 professors. It made for a quite a difficult situation, so I effectively left. 
sounds like a case of some animals are more equal than others. Exactly. Uh, if you didn't have the right views, you weren't acceptable, and therefore you weren't equal. So diversity, equity, inclusion, I have since dubbed conformity, inequity, and exclusion. Uh, that's what it amounts to. Michael Rechtenwald, thank you. My pleasure, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Speaking with Dr. Michael Rechtenwald, today's show has been Corporate Socialism, The Great Reset. Michael Rechtenwald was Professor of Liberal Studies and Global Liberal Studies at New York University from 2008 to 2019. He has also taught at Duke University, North Carolina Central University, Carnegie Mellon University, and Case Western Reserve University. He is the author of 11 books, including Thought Criminal, Beyond Woke, Google Archipelago, The Digital Gulag, and The Simulation of Freedom, and Springtime for Snowflakes, Social Justice and Its Postmodern Parentage, an academic's memoir, among many others. He is the founder of the online news service, CLG News. To subscribe to CLG News, send an email to signup at legitgov.org. That's signup at l-e-g-i-t-g-o-v dot org. He can be contacted through his website at michaelrechtenwald.com. That's michaelrechtenwald.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaramako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at g and Radio. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? You dig me? You got me?